Good morning. What a passage. You know, there's this thing um, we do in the Army. I'm sure they have an equivalent in other branches. It's called a ruck march. I'm not a fan of ruck marches. A ruck march is named after a ruck, which is a very oversized backpack. And the ruck is used when you go out into the field for training exercises or if you're going into battle. It's large enough to fit all of your gear. Everything that you're going to need for that experience goes into the ruck. And a ruck march means that you're going to gather as a unit and you're going to put that rucksack on and you're going to march usually for about 20 miles, 25 miles, sometimes it's a little bit less, and it's always scheduled on a day when it's 1,000 degrees. And the deal is the ruck has to weigh a minimum weight every time. Typically, it's 50 pounds. So you have to fill the sack, you have to put it on the scale, make sure it's 50 pounds before you get moving. And that's before water. So you fill it with 50 pounds, and then you add your water to it afterwards. And the thing about a ruck march is that thing is heavy at the beginning, it's heavy in the middle, and it's heavy at the end. And that is the way this passage is. It is heavy at the beginning, it is heavy in the middle, and it is heavy at the end. So today, we are going to go on a ruck march together, and we're going to work through this passage. But you know, the beauty of a ruck march is, you know, even through the pain of, of the actual march, there's, a, there's bonding that occurs, and there's a sweetness to it um, as you support one another, and as you overcome the challenges uh, of those hours together as a unit. And if you really look at this, even though this passage is seeped with emotion, and, and it talks about things like trials and sufferings, there's a sweetness to it. There really is, um, even in the midst of the pain. And so that's where we're going to go today. So hydrate yourself, drink plenty of water, and, uh, and let's get into this passage. You know, what's interesting about this is if you can put yourself in the position of what's happening um, Paul calls together the leaders of this church, and he, this is his last time he's going to be with them, right? So he's, he's, and he's clearly articulated there's going to be some, some bad things that are down the road for both him and for the church. It says that in here. And so he brings them together, and it's almost like he says, lean in to what I have to tell you. This is the last words that I'm going to give you so that you can provide the right leadership to the people in Ephesus. Um, you know, I think this passage, while he's talking to leaders, and there's probably um, evidence that this passage is about leadership and leadership within the church, I think it's about a lot more than that. Because I think the way that he is guiding these leaders to lead is the way that we should be interacting in every relationship that we have in our lives. I don't, I, even though he's speaking to the elders here, I don't think this is a passage that is just for elders of a church. I think it's, it's for all of us in, in any aspect of our lives um, that we're facing. You know, I recently um, came back from a, a conference on leadership, and there's a lot of theories out there about how to lead. And I've experienced leadership in a lot of different ways. I've experienced it in public education. I've experienced it uh, in the military. Um, I'm experiencing it now in private business, and I can tell you that there are common themes that seem to crop up in leaders that I've had a chance to work with and, um, and observe over my years um, in those different fields. And typically what ends up happening is you see a shift from a focus on others to a focus on self. Even if it's not conscious, it just sort of unconsciously happens. You know, it's like power over the, the greater good. 
my way because it's just easier that way than to involve others. Others need to get on board rather than trying to meet them where they're at and bring them along. Um, But what we see in this passage is so counterintuitive to the way that we see leaders lead typically in the world that it's definitely, it's definitely worth paying attention to. And even though we are going to see some principles here about how Paul led and, and how he's encouraging the elders to lead, I think that if we, if we frame our relationships with others, with our family, within the church, at work, in our communities, wherever, um, I think we can glean a lot from the words that Paul puts in this passage. And I'll say one more thing to set this up before we get into the passage. There are often times when I come to the, uh, a passage in Scripture, and it's pretty clear, I'm, I'm pretty certain, around what's occurring and what's being taught. With this passage, we have to kind of read behind, we, we, need, to, we need to try to get to the story behind the story. We see Paul talk about certain things, we see him express certain emotions, and we're not exactly certain what that day-to-day looked like as Paul interacted with the people in Ephesus. But I think if we just sort of lean into the passage and, and, and look at the way he's addressing them, think about the ways that he's, he's talking, I think we'll be able to glean some understanding of what it must have been like to be with Paul and the church in Ephesus over the years that he was with them. And I'll say this too, I really believe the theme of this passage can be summarized in verse 24, which I think is beautiful. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So as we talk through this passage today, keep that, that, context, that context in your mind that Paul's life was about a greater purpose. He didn't count it precious unto himself. It wasn't about building a life for him. It wasn't about building his best life, right? It was about something greater, something larger, something that he felt called to, something more than just Paul. And I think you're going to see that as we look at the different ways that he led and encouraged leadership. So there's going to be three big categories that I want to talk about today. And by the way, I'm not going to unpack everything in this passage. So I'm going to talk about a few of the things that are in here. There are so many nuggets in here that I do hope after the sermon you'll go back and lean in a little bit more and uncover some of these other things that Paul is saying and try to learn from the way that he interacts with and loves these people. But the three big categories that I'm going to talk about are this, this phrase, how I lived among you. What did Paul mean by that? What could he have possibly meant by that? And what does it mean to us? Secondly is this notion of building up. Build up, build up, build up. You see that all throughout this passage, he even uses that phrase in the passage. And finally, what was in it for Paul at the end of the day? And what's in it for us if we live our lives the way he's living or he lived with the people in Ephesus or if we lead the way that he's encouraging us to lead? Let me pray for us. Lord, this is your word and uh, these are your people that we're reading about. Uh, Lord, help us to learn from it, make application. Lord, help us to apply it in our lives. May your spirit pierce our hearts with your truth today. Amen. All right, verses 19 through 21, I love the way that Paul opens up the passage. He says, 
you know, what Paul could have done is said, all right, I, I've taught you for three years, but let me, let me just get, get you these last doctrinal nuggets. Make sure that you are doctrinally right because you're going to have to know the truth and be able to teach the truth. But Paul doesn't start with that. He starts with, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. What Paul is, is I, I think what we can read behind this is what Paul is saying up front is, what I taught isn't as nearly as important as how I lived. And what we teach and what we say with our mouths is not nearly as important than how we live. Because people are always looking at that, right? We're always on display. We are always communicating. Whether we speak or not, we are always communicating and people are watching. And I think what this means is when he says, you yourselves know how I lived uh, among you, is Paul is saying, I was in the mundane of life with you. I did life with you. I was with you. Day to day, we were together. You saw me, good, bad, and indifferent. Paul was vulnerable with them. He talks about the trials and temptations that he went through, and he let the people that he led see that. And he walked through those trials and temptations with them when they faced them as well. He was exposed, they saw his tears, they saw his trials, and he taught through that experience. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul did life with these people. One of the things that attracted me most about uh, being a chaplain in the army was this notion of, of ministry of presence. That's what we call it, ministry of presence. And what does that mean? What that means is in the army, it's different than the other branches of the military, but in the army, the chaplain is embedded right into the unit with the soldiers. He or she doesn't work in an office somewhere. We don't have a chapel that we're stationed in all day. We live among the soldiers. We're in the tents with them. We're in the barracks with them. And we're in, embedded in all the training exercises that they go through. It is the mundane of life. And I remember when I, when I spent a year overseas, it, it was probably the most life-changing experience that I've ever had. And the reason for that is because I learned this notion of the ministry of presence in a way that has profoundly impacted the way I live my life now that I'm home. Because prior to going, I was thinking I'm the spiritual leader. I have to be a certain way. I have to do certain things. I have to plan events. I have to plan blocks of instruction. I have to be set apart and look different and be different and act different. I have to be wholly different. And I think a lot of us approach our lives that way as Christians. We say we got to be different. We got to do certain things. We got to make an impact. We got to make a difference. And so we seek things to do that will influence others for the gospel and for Christ. And I couldn't do that overseas because the operation, the op tempo was just too high. I couldn't do anything outside of the norm of the daily schedule. So I had to learn to be with soldiers. And so what did that mean? If I wanted to be among them and make an impact, I had to start working out. I'd never worked out before, so I started going to the gym every day. And I needed somebody to teach me how to lift weights. Um, but you know what happened because of that? Rarely in that entire experience overseas did I make it through an entire workout without a soldier coming and talking to me about something that was going on with their lives, which led to a deeper conversation later. Rarely. When there was a planning meeting, I would go sit in the planning meeting and I would listen and I would try to understand what they were facing. I would watch their faces to see their, if, if they were anxious, if they were excited. 
when they would go on to mission, I would, I would be there as they left, and I would be there to greet them when they came back. And from time to time, I would go out with them to experience what they were experiencing as well. I never ate a meal alone. You walk into the, to the chow hall, you find a seat, you plop down, and you engage in conversation. You know, and you want to get somebody to open up, you want to get a soldier to open up, build a campfire, pull out some cigars, and they will talk. They will talk. But that's not exclusive to the military. There was nothing I did, I just was. And as I was with them, whether they were fixing an aircraft and I was standing there right with them and handing them tools and just kind of talking to them about life, or whatever context we were in, I just built relationship and they saw me. They were exposed to me. I talked about the struggles of being away from Julie and the boys and they talked about the struggles of being away from their family. And little by little, they felt much more comfortable coming and having these deeper conversations with me. Ministry of presence is not unique to the military. It is not unique to the military. Ministry of presence is what we all do. So what does it look like at work? Well, I don't know. You go through the mundane of life like Paul's talking about. How I lived among you, what does that look like in your day-to-day life? I think you need to make that transference. For me, when I go to work, what it means is if there are people on my team, I go out and shadow them in the field. I want to see what they're experiencing. I want to be right there with them. I want to understand what their struggles and their concerns are. It's intentional during my one-on-one meetings with them to ask them where they're at. Not, not to get an update on status of where they are with the work, but how are they? Tell me what your wins are. Tell me what your challenges are. Tell me what you feel really good about. Engaging with them in the mundane of life. Going to lunch with them. Not talking about anything profound or deep, but just living life among them and letting them see Somebody who loves, cares, and wants to meet them where they're at and is vulnerable and opens up, just like Paul talks about here, the trials and the temptations. What he's telling these leaders in Ephesus is, remember, I was with you. I was one of you. We walked together. We cried together. You know, nowhere in here is Paul expounding upon the theological truths of Christianity. He's basically saying, I was not I did. So think about that in your life. Are you more focused in ministry and on trying to impact this world on what you're doing or who you are with others? Because I can guarantee you that people care much more about who you are and being with them and being among them and connecting with them than anything else. But it wasn't just that Paul lived life with him. It's very clear in verse 20. Not only did he just live with them in the mundane of life and experience life with them, but he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He taught in public and he taught from house to house. Paul did speak truth. But Paul spoke truth, and I believe, and this is where we have to make some assumptions because the text doesn't say this clearly, but I think the truth that Paul taught landed much differently because of the way he lived his life with these people. And I can only assume, and I would imagine, because I would say the same is true in the experience that I've had, that Paul didn't set up separate times to just be with them and separate times to just teach them. I would suspect that as he was with them and engaging with them and loving them, through those conversations, Paul was able to weave in the truth of the gospel. 
He was able to speak truth through that. He wasn't looking for the opportunity. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you feel like me, because you just, you feel like you got to get it in. You're sitting in a conversation and waiting for that moment where, oh, the door opened, now I can talk about Jesus. Um, It's not about that at all. It's just the natural part of life, of conversation, that as he was doing life with them, he found ways to talk about the gospel and about about truth. You know, Ministry of presence, like Paul is talking about here, and I think I mentioned this the last time we were together, is about letting others have a comprehensive view of who you are and inviting others to allow you to have a comprehensive view of who they are. Their good, their bad, their struggles, their doubts, their fears, your doubts, your fears, your anxieties. That's how I believe Paul did this. Remember how I lived among you. Man, if I spent any amount of time with anybody and they came to me and said, I will never forget how you lived among me, how you lived among us, man, there's no greater compliment than that. If that points the way to Christ, man, what an honor. If my boys grow up, and regardless of whatever I've said to them and taught them about the truth, If the way that Julie and I have lived among them has pointed to the gospel, there is no greater compliment. The same should be true of us in our workplace, in our neighborhood, and in this church. If you really want to know who someone is, live among them. If you really want others to know who you are, live among them. I think you can start making application to this to your life as well. The second theme that I see in this passage is this idea of building up others. Um, If you start to transition from verses 22 through 32, you see how Paul talked about how he was with them in the first part of the the passage, um, how he didn't shrink back from declaring the truth. But you see in verse 22, um, Paul's about to face some major hardships here. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. All right, so Paul's about to experience some major challenges. He doesn't know exactly what, but he doesn't have a hunch. He doesn't have a feeling. God, okay, the Holy Spirit has told him that imprisonment and affliction awaits you. Exactly what that looks like, we don't know, but this isn't Paul just being anxious. This is Paul being certain. Life's about to get very, very difficult for me. So Paul doesn't turn and say, and doesn't ask for anything here. Instead, what he does is he focuses on the leaders that he's leaving behind. Because Paul is always about building others up. It's even when he's living among them and being vulnerable with them and authentic with them, it's always to build the people up that he's with. Let's look at what he, what he says here about building folks up. But I do not account my life of any value or precious to myself if only I could finish the race. There's the theme of the passage, right? Wait a minute, but it's not about me. I'm doing all of this because there's a greater cause. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater calling. And so I need to focus on building you up because you guys are going to have to stand on your own two feet. I, and he says in verse 27, I did not shrink back. He again de- says the same thing. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
what Paul is saying is he spoke truth to these people. Right? He said, listen, I'm going to face some afflictions, but I need to speak very directly with you. I need to speak, I need to have some straight talk with you about what's going to happen next. Because in a loving relationship, in a very tr- in a relationship that is full of trust, people speak directly to each other. They don't beat around the bush, they don't play little games, we're not passive aggressive, we put it right out there. And when you build a relationship with others the way Paul has built with the people in Ephesus where he's lived life with them and he's been vulnerable with them and he's let them see into his trials and temptations and he stood there with them through theirs, you build some social collateral to where you can speak directly to each other. And more than anything else, we need that type of communication. Not harsh, not mean-spirited, but we need to be able to speak truth and clearly to one another. I think Brene Brown says clarity is kindness. When you don't speak truth to each other, what she's saying is that's unkind because it may feel good in the moment, but you're damaging the other person in the relationship long term. So I, I believe that the type of leadership and the type of relationship that Paul had as we look at this passage is he was all in, man. He was wholeheartedly in. And it wasn't just about patting them on the back and making them feel good and loving them in, in, a, in a soft tradition, in a, in a very nice and tender way. It was also loving them by speaking truth and holding them accountable and getting them ready for what life was about to bring them. He was all in. And don't you want a leader like that? One who will stand next to you, shoulder to shoulder, through all the things that you face, but at the same time will tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear? Don't you want a leader like that? Don't you want a partner like that? Don't you want a friend like that? Man, that's what I want. And that's who Paul is. And that's what I I believe is, is summed up when Jesus talks about grace and truth. Grace and truth. I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna support you, I'm gonna accept you, I'm gonna be right there with you, but I am gonna speak truth to you. I am gonna tell you what you need to hear because I love you enough to do that. Oh, do you hold back in your relationships with others because you're afraid of how they may, may respond because you're afraid to speak the whole counsel of God to them. Man, what types of relationships we could have if we could just apply the principles that we're learning from Paul here. When you're all in, when you're all in, you tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. You do it in a loving way, right? Sometimes I'm not so loving when I do that, but, I do it in a, but you do it in a loving way. Here's the things that Paul is, is warning them of. He's saying, look, others are going to come in and teach you the wrong things. Others are going to tell you what you want to hear. Others are going to deliberately try to lead you astray. Be ready for this. Stand firm. Support one another. Remember the things that I taught you. Pay careful attention to everyone in the flock. Look to your left and your right. After my departure, fierce wolves are going to come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, people will arise speaking twisted things. Be alert. Remember that for three Years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. All right? Man, what a lesson to parents. Are we preparing our kids 
for the realities of this world? Are we talking to them? Are we having conversations with them? Are we rescuing them when they get into trouble? Are we helping them navigate those difficult situations themselves? That's what Paul is saying to these people. You're going to be on your own soon. Get ready. Stand firm. He's, he's about to face all kinds of trials and fears, but he pivots and turns his attention. He's building up, building up, building up. Man, that's what leadership is all about, right? It's about developing those that you've been entrusted with. It's about thinking about their needs, meeting them where they're at, and speaking truth to them, and creating conditions so that they'll flourish and grow. And I love that. And it's not just about leadership, but it's about any relationship that we have. Give me a leader like that, counterintuitive to this culture. And when you go into your work environment and you lead like that, you watch people. They're going to follow you. They're hungry for that type of leadership. But you do put yourself at risk because you have to make yourself vulnerable too. This work that Paul is referring to, the type of leadership, the type of relationships that he's referring to is not easy. You can see that in verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. This goes back to that theme of I do not count my life as precious to me. If you want to be in a relationship like this, if you want to lead like this, it is not going to be easy. It's hard work. It's hard work emotionally, it's hard work physically, and it will grind you down spiritually. It really will. I have a really good friend, he's a superintendent, and he and I, when we were principals together, used to say, we're gonna write a book, and it's gonna be called How Leadership Messed Up My Life, and it's just gonna be story after story after story of all the crazy things that happen as a leader, and how you have to make these impossible decisions that, that seemingly compromise your ethics and your values all the time because there's no right answer. Okay, that's what leading does. It kind of messes you up because it's hard, man. You just want to hide. You want to shrink back, and you don't want to have to engage in this type of relationship. But, man, is it worth it when you see the fruit that it produces in the lives of others and the growth that you make as well spiritually. Oh, by the way, this is the type of relationship we have with the Lord, right? I mean, is this not what Jesus did? How I lived among you, does that sound familiar? How Jesus left the comforts and the power and, and, and all that he had to live among us and in a disadvantaged manner that was way below, way below him as a deity? I mean, this is the model. This is not Paul's model of ministry. This is not Paul's model of leadership or Paul's model of relationships. This is exactly what Jesus did when he came and lived among us. Read the Gospels and look at him engaging in the mundane of life with all the people that he led. Right? We call that incarnational ministry. You came and he, incarnation meaning he took on flesh. Right? He just lived among us. We should all, all want to be incarnational ministers. Let's go and be with others. Let's meet them where they're at and experience life with them. But it's hard. It's very hard. So let me close with the final point. What is in it for Paul? Man, everything. It's hard. 
I told you this was going to be a heavy passage. We we learned about his trials and temptations at the beginning. Paul's been crying all throughout this. He hadn't stopped crying since he started talking to the people in Ephesus, right? Um, Now he's having to pivot away from his own trials and temptations and think about preparing the people that he's leaving. Man, that's hard to do to set your needs aside and like really focus on their needs and build them up. He talked about how hard the work was, how he had to work with his own two hands, even while he was ministering to them. And finally, we get to the end. And when he had finished saying these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced him, and they kissed him. And they were sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. I don't know about you, but I've left a lot of positions, and this never happened to me. Okay? And I will also say on the flip side, I never wept bitterly about leaving them. Except for maybe Mariana, when I left Jones, I wept bitterly for her. I'm not sure if she's here. Somebody can tell her that. But this has never happened to me. So what's in it for Paul is you understand the three years that he lived among them, all of the hardship, all of the trials, all of the focusing on the needs of others, all of the vulnerability, it led to this deep connection, this deep bonding, this deep relationship. And what they were most upset about is they weren't going to see each other again. They were grieving. And now it sounds heavy and it sounds difficult and it sounds like it really stinks for them, but it's so sweet because it really demonstrates the depth of love and affection that they had for one another. This is what we're created for. That's why the doing, the doing, the doing is exhausting and it never fills our buckets. It never satisfies us and we never, ever, ever do enough because we were not created to do, but we were created to be. And through that being with others and being in relationship, we, we do do a lot. A lot more with a lot more impact than just running as hard as we can to accomplish. So what does Paul get out of this? He gets what he was created to get out of this. What did the people in Ephesus get out of this? They get what they were created to get out of this. They get each other. They get the connection, the deep relationship. It is the story behind the story. All the emotion that you read in this passage, the way he lived his life with them, the trials and the temptation, they all point to this bigger picture of deep Love and connection, weeping, embracing, kissing, sorrowful. What great times these people must have shared if at the departure they feel this level of pain. Can you imagine how much fun and sweet and tender times they must have had together? Man, oh, for relationships like that. Leadership is about relationships. Ministry is about relationships. And so is life. It's about being together, experiencing the mundane, and being who you are authentically with others. That's what people want more than anything else. And in that, speaking truth. And why do we know this? Because that is who God is. This is a passage, in my opinion, it's an analogy of the personality of God. He exists in three persons. His very essence is relationship. 
He's very other-centered. He's about building up, building up, building up. He's about connection. He's about speaking truth. He's about wanting authenticity and vulnerability. He's about grace, and he's about truth. The plan of redemption, the plan of redemption is, 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 is in play all of the things that God has done from the beginning of time to redeem us so that we can experience relationships like this with one another and so that we can experience a relationship like this with God because that is who he is and that is who we are because we're created in his image. And that is very good news. Amen? Thank you.